we're going to talk about copywriting for conversions with Joel Kletke. My name is Kiri Jansen and welcome to She Wrote Pay, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous English episode, I spoke with AJ Davis about how to make creativity a priority in your zero process and how to level up your zero research. You can listen to that episode on the Zero Cafe website or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners, Online Dialogue, Sidespec, Online Influence Institute, Content Square, and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 35. Joel, a warm welcome to the cafe. And uh, yeah, to start off with, we always like to know our guests a bit better. So let's start out with how you became involved with Zero. Yeah, uh, so my journey to CRO was basically a series of falling ass backwards into different roles I didn't knew you know know existed <laughs> until they were my job. So uh, I started out. I, I best start ever. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this wasn't really a thing when I was. It's not like I dreamt of growing up to be a conversion copywriter. It wasn't a role really. I mean, direct response existed, but I was oblivious to it. And so I started out very much kind of. Uh, I, I always loved writing. Never saw a career in it at all. I, I didn't want to be a journalist. I didn't want to uh, be an author. And so the whole world of writing, you know, marketing, writing, and, and then conversion copy later on, I was, I was just blind to it. Uh, went through university, wound up doing a degree in entrepreneurship because I liked being around people who did things and didn't just talk about doing things. I liked the practical application and that kind of energy. Wound up at an agency doing SEO. Uh, so that was the first, uh, the, the very first sort of job that I had that I didn't realize was a thing until it was my job. So all of a sudden I'm agency side and now it's my job uh, to optimize for search engines. And so there I got my first introduction to the world of analytics and the fact that, okay, the work that we do can influence search engines. But I almost got, I got like simultaneously a great education there and a bad education there. The great education was seeing, okay, the analytics side and being able to measure all of this. And that's where I started to get introduced to the whole idea of like the online conversion. Uh, the bad education I would say is at the time I was in SEO, uh, every emphasis on the copywriting side was like a bad emphasis. It was like, how can we get keywords as many as possible into this thing? And how can we, you know, uh, sort of, it, it wasn't, you know, the agency I was with was not a spammy agency. We did things right. But the prevailing knowledge was like content was second and there's all this other stuff that went into SEO. And then the Panda update happened and all of a sudden the entire industry started to turn its face towards content. And all of a sudden this skill that I had kept in my back pocket and even told the agency, hey, if there's an opportunity, right, you know, like I enjoy doing it, but I don't, you know, I understand. All of a sudden it was one of the most valuable skill sets I had. So I started writing for our blog and then I started writing web pages for clients and then I started expanding on what I was doing on the SEO side. And now I was seeing this joint alignment of analytics and creativity and the way the two played off each other. Well, fast forward to 2013, I knew my time at the agency was coming to an end. I knew that I didn't want to do SEO forever. So in 2013, as this whole trend of online content was really getting attention, I thought it's time for me to go out. It's time for me to go and do this. I'd been building up my client base while at the agency, taking on my first projects, getting used to that. So in 2013, in July, I went out on my own, originally focused on content. And I enjoyed that. It was very safe. It was very easy for me. 
But then I was introduced to the work of Joanna Weeb, the queen bee of conversion copywriting. Anyone in the industry who doesn't know who Joanna is, go look her up. You're going to fall in love with her work and what she's done and the way she teaches things. Uh, but Joanna was my first taste of seeing that direct response copy could be applied really well to the web and that it didn't have to be sketchy. So I had seen in the past, like my early exposure to the field I'm in now was like the really sketchy, we've all seen them, like the long form sales pages with 10 different fonts and awkward highlighting, and then a picture of software in a box, even though no one buys software in a box anymore. But it, <laughs> my exposure was just really, again, negative. And it's, it honestly scared me, the field, because I, I was nervous about the idea of having to have my copy tied to a direct outcome. It felt like a big leap for me. So I was, I was hesitant to get into it. And then when I met Joanna digitally and saw her work and saw, no, I don't have to hawk fitness products I, I don't believe in. I don't have to be, you know, a, a shady, you know, it's not about manipulating people. It's about helping them understand and helping them make intelligent decisions and kind of using the momentum they have. Well, then I was sold. And so now all of a sudden, all this education I'd been getting in the background of understanding the analytical side and my love of writing, finally, I had a home for it. I had a role for it. And that was conversion copy. And so that was in about 2014. And ever since then, I haven't looked back. It's been my core focus on my own consulting work. And I've been trying to level up the, you know, my own analytical skills and all that since then. So that is the story of how I wound up in a role that I didn't know existed. So, so to get an idea, what, what kind of projects are you working on right now? Uh, besides uh, becoming a father for a second time. So yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, projects might hopefully wind down a bit for you uh, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, but, but what kind of uh, copywriting uh, work are you, are you, are you doing? So I really focus on the um, marketing site side of things, landing pages, I work with a lot of software companies and subscription-based services. And while I can do across the entire funnel, so I have worked on ads and I work on landing pages, I've done email nurture sequences, and, and I do sometimes take on all of those pieces for a client. Where I'm deepest, where I'm most focused is that landing page, primary marketing site. I get called into a lot of situations when companies are either considering a redesign uh, or considering a pivot in their business. So for example, uh, with HubSpot, they were kind of moving both a redesign of the site and then also introducing a freemium model and what's the implication of this on our funnels and our copy and all of that. I get brought into situations too where things aren't converting the way they should be or or leadership thinks they could be. And so my job is not only just to bash a keyboard and write new words, uh, but to diagnose why might this not be converting? Uh, what could we change? Why should we change those things? So I do a lot of analysis, strategy, uh, and research, yeah. and then uh, focusing a lot on the core marketing sites, the landing pages, and then inevitably touching on pieces like the ads as well. And then whenever it's email, I team up with someone like Val Geisler or Samara Way. They're specialists. They're really deep on the email side. I just love the copy piece of that. Um, most recently, my, my last project was for a company called Union Crate. Um, they are a supply chain uh, software for, for CPG brands. And so solving problems like there, to give a practical example, um, it's an integrated platform, two different products, and two different audiences, small to mid-sized businesses and enterprise. And the enterprise only cares about one of the two products. They'll only ever buy the one, but small to mid-sized businesses might get both. And then the pricing that they have is very modular. So a lot of like complex situations, I get brought in to bring some structure to that, understand how do we position and sell this, 
diagnose and fix conversion issues and, and set companies up to convert better. So that's a lot of what my focus is on now. It, it sounds a lot like uh, like zero like, uh, in general. Uh, the, the work with the, the analysis, looking at the, at the customer side of, of things, uh, but just specialized on on, on the copy side of, of things. Would, would that be an accurate description? Yeah, or? I mean, there's a lot of... Is, is there a lot of zero elements in your work? There have to be, yeah. I, I go through the same process that I think a lot of zero people do and would have to, but specific to copy, there are elements that are really critical. Yeah. Uh, you know, where a lot of conversion people will focus on the design. And for example, there's a fantastic company called The Good and they do e-commerce here and they, they are brilliant at looking at the actual design elements and the user experience elements. My job though, while it touches on that and I contribute to conversations around that and inevitably wind up you know, suggesting changes to that, my job is really helping my clients understand how their customers think and make decisions, what motivates them What pain points do they have? What outcomes do they want? And importantly, how do they talk about those? So a huge amount of my research that is sometimes a little bit unique is getting that voice of customer data and doing surveys, doing customer interviews, uh, trying to look at, again, what motivates them, getting beyond like the cardboard cutout persona. Like in marketing, everyone talks persona, persona. Half the time there are things invented around a boardroom table that have no grounding in reality. My job is to flesh that out and make that a real person and challenge yeah. the assumptions there. So I look a lot at how people make decisions and I look a lot at how they talk about those decisions, how they interpret information and bring that back into the copy piece. Yeah. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influence, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. So more uh, generically speaking, there, there are a lot of zero specialists, of course, listening to this podcast since we're focused on zero. Uh, you're, you're specifically uh, uh, trained to look at the copy of things. Uh, what do you see if, if you meet or talk to or see the work of uh, more generic zero specialists? What do you see? What are the mistakes that we make? <laughs> or or, or uh, whether it's assumptions about the, the job that you do or the actual implementation of, of, of copy or, or using um, uh, the research and how we use that to, uh, to improve things. I think sometimes there's a bias toward design. And don't get me wrong, I love, love working with conversion people who are deep on the user experience end. But I think there's a bias to when, when that's the tool in your toolkit, that's always how you want to solve the problem. Restructure the page look at where the attention is going and so on and so forth. I think some misconceptions about my job is that it's just branding or it's just positioning. But the work I do goes beyond that. It's my job to understand, again, how do people make decisions? What information do they need to hear? And how do they need to hear it? What order do they need to hear it in? How, how do we communicate that in a way that's actually going to hit home for them? It goes beyond, you know, I think there's a lot of like hallmark things about my field that people just take for granted as like, yeah, that's obvious. Like we all hear features versus benefits and right to the benefit, not to the feature. Well, 
In some cases, it makes more sense to write to the feature when you understand the awareness level of the people you're talking to. Or a lot of people think, you know, well, shorter pages are better or people don't read. That's one that I hear all the time. Like even from seasoned conversion, (laughs) people like, no, this page is too long. There's no way they're going to read that. I think the thing is my job, everyone, you know, everyone that I know that excels in conversion cares deeply about the people on the other end of the conversion and the, the whole psychology of that. But I think my job gets ratcheted up to another level where it's that motivation piece. So I think some of the common mistakes that I see are just treating copy like window dressing or an afterthought, where it's like, well, we'll, we'll engineer the design and then you know the copy will kind of make fit into the rest of it, or yeah. it doesn't really bear that much weight. I think a lot of the time too, where there's the temptation for someone who doesn't know the design side well to come in and start making recommendations like change a button color or put this there and thinking that's what conversion optimization is. Similarly, on the copy side, people say, well, let's test, just test the headline or let's just test the button copy. But a lot of what I do is understanding, for example, something that's commonly overlooked is the awareness level. Like if we use the analogy of a suitcase, I need to, if, if I want to take you on a trip, if we want to go somewhere together and you're carrying a suitcase, I need to understand what you've already got packed and what I need to help you pack to get you to the point that you know we can go somewhere. If we want to go to Antarctica and you've got a suitcase full of bathing suits, I need to help you pack a parka and warm clothes and so on and so forth. So too with awareness level, what someone brings into the conversation with them, how much they know already directly influences what you should say to them and how you should say it. It's possible to have a beautiful, wonderful, perfectly engineered user experience And it's possible to understand all the pain points and benefits, but if you communicate those things in the wrong way at the wrong time, you'll lose the conversion anyways. So those are some things that kind of get glossed over or overlooked. Uh, It's easy to treat copy just like I say, in the same way that people disrespect design and treat it like decoration. It's absolutely not. It's easy to look at copy. And I think sometimes it's just words or it's just, well, we can just test every part of it or we should just, it's, it's this formulaic approach when really it's communication. It's it's a lot of understanding that goes in. Yeah, and I can imagine that uh, often when when new websites are designed, they they start with like a wireframe, but then you are basically you are already stuck because then then it's already defined how much space you have for your copy. While it might feel uh, very illogical uh, to to someone like you, and you say, well, but I might need more or less or yeah, that's really the thing. And the best projects that I've worked on. Something I've had to learn and that I actually love now is as the copywriter, my job is to study user experience, study design so that I can have intelligent conversations so I'm not coming at it from a myopic copy first all the time mentality. Because a great designer will take a concept I've written and find a way to visually present it that's better, just better than, than I could even think of. And when I can think a little bit on the design end or, or that side of things, my copy becomes better. Similarly, you know, if if you draw all the pictures for the story before you define what the story is, well, how do you know there's going to be this alignment there? So all of the best projects I've worked on have been with conversion-focused designers or CROs who get that, the two interplay really well. I think there's like a mantra of like, well, the copy should always inform the design. The design should always... Uh, for me, it's it's not like that. The best way to do this is when I write, I write to a wireframe but not because I'm trying to take a designer's job or say, oh, my way or the highway, but so that communication can be iterative. 
So I need to know how to wireframe so that I can go to a designer and say, here's what I'm thinking. Can you make it better? And instead of copy, you know, like defining design, I prefer to look at it as there's an opportunity to do this in lockstep. Whereas, yes, I need to have the space and the opportunity to communicate in a way that will make sense for that person to buy in and to get the information they need. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not writing off the fact that a designer may come back with a better way of not saying what I need to say, but presenting it or making, you know, bringing clarity through through the communication of design. So it's it's really the best relationships happen when both sides know enough about the other to be dangerous. So again, communication. Yeah. Also within the team, right? Completely, yeah. <laughs> so you, you just mentioned uh, something I want to dive a bit deeper in. You, you said, uh, well, sometimes, uh, well, but the default is that, okay, yeah, we should uh, mention benefits, not necessarily features. I think this is a nice example. So when would you say, oh, well, you actually do need to talk about features here? Yeah, I, I mean, for example, uh, with software, um, we're not, by, by the time someone, there's so much happens away from the site now that by the time someone arrives on your marketing site, yes, on the homepage or certain pages, that you might be the first solution they come across, but often they're already coming. We talk about that suitcase analogy. Often they already have identified their problem. They know they've got a problem. They know they need to solve it. They've already identified multiple solutions are out there. Uh, and in the case of software, especially, they're just trying to compare solutions and find out, can this thing solve X problem that I have. So it's not that we now throw out the window talking about benefits in, in any case, but we need to understand the motivation and awareness level of whoever is evaluating the solution that we bring to the table. So with Union Crate, this was the exact case. We think that by this time, by the time that they arrive on the site, we have content there to help educate people at the very early stages who are just realizing their pain. We have blog posts. We have you know, different parts of the site that are responsible for helping them understand, oh, if you're experiencing this pain, there's a solution like this. But the actual product pages, so when you go to their operations management page, there's the hero section that very quickly establishes what this is and who it's for and a little bit of why they should care what makes them unique. But the section that immediately follows is just what's different about Union Crate. And we want to get that out of the way right away because we know at this juncture the average person coming in has a short list of things that they're going, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this. And what they need to know is what makes you different or special. They don't need to be told, you know, if you have this problem, you should get a solution like this. Here's how this solution works. Yes, they want to see the mechanism, but they're past that to some degree. So by communicating very quickly, these are the features that are unique to us. And then the benefit of those features that's uniquely tied to those we can get that out of the way. We can help those people who are highly motivated, much more aware, make a purchase decision. So the blindly, you know, blindly applying best practice in any scenario can be lethal because when you don't take into consideration how much your audience knows, where they're at, what point of the journey they're on, then you run the risk of applying a best practice in the worst possible scenario, and it's not gonna it's not gonna serve you. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you said, uh, for example, with with software, uh, you can tell me all the benefits, but just can I just please get a confirmation that it actually works on the Mac right. or on my Windows? <laughs> That's what I want to know right now. Or can I indeed plug in my HDMI cable or USB C? Does it have that port? Can I can I actually use this if I want if I buy it? Yeah. At some point, you're you know the the lead is beyond. Like with a novel solution, when you're brand new to the market, then yes, describing the mechanism becomes really important. Because if you're a brand new way to solve an old problem, 
then you need to spend more time educating them on the how. Or if you're dealing with people who are just realizing they've got a pain point. So for the first time, they're kind of opening their eyes and going, yeah, this sucks. I want a solution, but I don't know what's out there. It's a different conversation. Like a dumb analogy that I'll use is if, if we imagine that we're at a restaurant, we're sitting across from each other and you have something in your teeth. If you've never heard of floss before and I say, oh, you've got something in your teeth, then I need to spend some time explaining to you what floss is, how you should use it. And then I might say, oh, here's why floss is better than a toothpick and so on and so forth. The less you know, typically, the more I have to say to bring you to the point that you can go, yes, I'd like to buy some floss. But if you already know you've got something in your teeth, thankfully, you know what floss is because God help us if you don't, <laughs> then I just need to, the only thing I need to tell you is, hey, I've got some floss right here and it's on sale for 50 cents and you know enough at that point to buy it. So ignoring that leads to some really stupid decisions because if we assume everyone is only pain aware when the vast majority of people coming in are all the way down here, then we're wasting their time with really long copy. But then if we assume that people understand all this and they don't, well, now we're leaving huge parts of the conversation out. Yeah. So a big part of my job is helping companies identify where are people at with this? What does that journey look like? How do we communicate that to them? Tidespec offers a worldwide unique A-B testing, personalization and product recommendation solution. Sidespec works server-side without any tags or scripts, which guarantees an optimal performance. The Sidespec solution eliminates delays and the chance of any flickering effects, and this approach also ensures that the current and future browser security rules like ITP and ETP don't make an impact on your A-B testing and personalizations. For more info, visit sidespec.com. I never actually considered selling floss to the person I'm having dinner with, but that's a, that's a great new business <laughs> idea, actually. Lucrative venture, yeah. I mean, you just have to yeah, eat exactly. a lot of like lettuce or broccoli or things that get stuck in teeth and you can really- uh, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Rack, rack up yeah. a lot of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you start with a, with a new client, where do you start? Uh, I can imagine so many things you, you can do and you can bring to the table, but, but you have a new client, where do you start? So we always, before we just start swinging a hammer around, we want to understand what we're trying to build and, and what's actually gone on. So- my work always happens in at least two phases and often three, and I'll quickly cover the first two that always happen. So the first one is always analysis and strategy. And in this phase, we're looking at, okay, what information do we have about the customer? What do we need to go and get? And then I help engineer the research process to go and get this. So what I mean by this is, for example, have they done any surveying of customers, like systematic surveying of customers to understand how they come in, why they make the decisions they do, and so on and so forth. Have they done any customer interviews? We'll look at that. Do they have chat logs? I want to analyze chat logs to get a sense of what questions are being asked, how frequently. I look for patterns in things like surveys, like interviews, like chat logs, two types of patterns. One is language. How do they talk about these types of things? But two are the themes. What types of things are they talking about? So for example, in chat logs, yes, often everyone's going to ask about with software, for example, the price. What's the price? What's the price? What's the price? But if I'm seeing, to, to draw an example from some work I did for an online divorce company, when we separated the questions being asked by men and women, we saw very different trends. Men were converting more often. Women were not. So we started, look, we wondered why that is, especially when in the real world, women initiate divorce more often than men. The secret answer lay in the chat logs and the reviews. We saw women were asking more questions surrounding things like, I have dependents, how will that be handled? 
do I have to sit down across from my spouse to, to make this happen? They were more likely to be fearful of their spouse, have dependents, have questions about property. We weren't answering those questions in the copies. So by looking at somewhere like chat logs, we got to fill in the gaps. So surveys, interviews, looking at chat logs, but then a lot of things that a typical you know conversion person would do. So watching recorded user sessions to see where the attention is going, looking at things like Google Analytics to see the paths that they take through the site. For me, those things are valuable to see what type of information they're seeking out. If someone comes to a landing page and then goes to another page on the site, what was the informational need that led them to do that? I want to pinpoint things like that. So the first thing I'll do with a client is design the battery of research to close the gap on the information that we need. We need to understand a client's pain points, desires, anxieties, hesitations. Uh, and, and then we also need to understand how they interact with the information. If there's a live site right now, how they interact with the information today. So I go away, I collect all of that. I come back to them with my findings and we talk about the strategy. How does this impact copy? Uh, why should we restructure things or should we restructure things and so on? From that point, phase two is always the copywriting and wireframing. So when I work with clients, as I mentioned, we talked about earlier, I'm always writing to a wireframe first. Uh, there's the obvious reason for that and the less obvious reason for that. So the obvious reason is I want to have better conversations around design. I don't want to hand them a Google Doc and have them go, okay, I guess we have to figure out how to present this. So that's the obvious one. The less obvious one is I don't typically want a client to edit my copy. So I put it in a format that's harder to edit. <laughs> I want to have a conversation around the why and not the what. I don't want to send them a Word doc where their, their propensity is going to be, I don't like that word. Oh, I don't, I don't. If I send it to them and they yeah. can see a bit of the design and they can see a little bit uh, of the presentation, and I always send, whenever I send a wireframe with copy in it, I always either present it on a call or send a video talking through every, why did I do this? Why did I orchestrate it? Because I think in conversion, it's really important to move away from opinion and personal preference. And I don't like that one, I don't like that. And make the conversation more about the under, underpinning strategies and hypotheses that we're putting forward. Uh, so that's the second phase. And then the third phase is the ongoing, you know, iteration, A-B testing, split testing, and so on. This is something that most conversion people do all the time. Uh, for my situations, often I'm, I'm dealing with clients where they don't have the statistical significance. They don't have thousands of conversions that we can always measure this in like a month's time. So it's not that we ignore this. It's not that, you know, I, I don't ever say, well, let's split test this. That's a key piece to the conversion puzzle. Uh, but often then I'll bring in partners or I become a smaller part of a larger team. And then we work collaboratively to look at the hypotheses on at a cadence that makes sense for the client and so on. So that's kind of a high level of how a project would look. But the most involved yeah. and intensive part is that first phase when we're collecting all that intel, interpreting it, trying to draw some meaningful conclusions uh, from the voice of customer and the way that they behave today. When you see a project, whether it's yourself, a project from your, from your own company or uh, colleagues in the field doing copywriting, when, when those projects don't work out with clients, what are the most common pitfalls? What are the, what are the most common reasons that those that it doesn't work out for whatever? A huge one is failure to set expectations. Um, I think I always have the conversation at the outset um, that, hey, what we're doing, we're, we're going to root it in data. We're going to spend a lot of time on research and analysis. We're going to spend the time to, to get to know uh, the why behind the decisions that we make. But I always communicate like, there's always a risk that it's not going to convert because behavior is surprising. There, you know, it's, so we're, we want to go in with a clear head. And so 
the the client needs to come in with the same mindset of discovery and analysis and experimentation. And when they think it's just a money machine, like put in a dollar, get 10 out, that's when things really break down. I think team dynamic, when teams don't talk to each other, that can break things down. So I always want to be plugged into the design people, the SEO people, leadership. Before I write a word of copy, I'll have a meeting where all of the different seats are on the table, have an opportunity to share their perspective. Uh, because when you don't do that, then you start getting pushback from teams who had nothing to do with the research process. So everyone for me has to be part of that strategy piece, not necessarily informing it, but they have to understand why we're making the changes we do. Because when you're an SEO, I mean, I, I was an SEO. When you're an SEO, the only lens you look at things through is, is it going to rank? Whereas that's not helpful. When you're in design, if you're not paying attention, the only thing is, does it look the way I want it to? So not getting buy-in cross-functionally from teams is is a big uh, way that falls apart. And then the last one I would say is, and this has come back to bite me in big ways, you can't always control for it. Leadership has to be involved. Even if your point of contact is the marketing team or the sales team, what have you, leadership has to buy in. They have to believe because otherwise what happens, and this happened on has happened on real projects, we get 90% of the way through. And then in the home stretch, some VP swings in. They're like, hey, I had this crazy fever dream, and now the direction of the company is different. So can you just change everything you just did? And that will that will kill a project when when leadership doesn't understand or see the why or isn't privy or part of the discussion, it can totally derail everything. So I think all of those points, though, come down to just expectation setting and communication. We, we need that culture at, uh, at the company side to uh, to support what, uh, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you've worked, you've always worked uh, with online uh, uh, copy. I don't know if you've worked with, uh, with offline uh, uh, copywriters. And what would you say are some key differences between writing copy uh, for offline and versus online? Yeah, I mean, the bulk of my work has been online. I did some offline in my early days. I think one of the big ones, though, it seems like an obvious one, but the ability to test and to track online is obscene. Like the amount of information you can get uh, is is wild. I think, too, with print, um, you know, you always have to be clear on your objective. Like with a print ad or what have you, uh, oftentimes, like if I if I was to write a sales letter offline, then you know it's it's it can only ever be one piece, right? Because it's literally printed out. There's nothing dynamic about it, so you have to nail that one format. There's you know there's not a whole lot of room to experiment and change things. It takes longer to get that feedback from the offline world. Well, I, th- I think previously in, in magazines they did do some A/B testing with with like covers or something. Uh, in 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 shops, uh, but of course, like like you said, that, that takes a very <laughs> the, the timeline is, is completely different. Yeah, and I mean you can't track in the offline world, you know, how someone's eyes go through the page, so on and so forth. The other thing uh, too is though, speaking to that dynamic piece with online now and with where tools are going. Um, not that this is, I think personalization gets used as this like monkey wrench answer for everything, which I don't believe it is. I think we're only it works in some cases, but. With digital, you have the opportunity to make rapid changes and you do have the ability to iterate as you're learning. So with tools like WriteMessage uh, or other you know, tools out there, you can actively plan for, okay, if throughout this process we learn that this is one type of person and not the other, you can 
you know, on the go, have the copy adjust to that person. You can't do that with a print ad. You can't have it be that dynamic and responsive, which is increasingly where the tools are getting easier, cheaper, better online. So that's another big opportunity and and difference to the online side of things. So so basically online, we're spoiled. Yeah, super spoiled, massively spoiled, yeah. (laughs) Marketing budgets have suffered and the share for A-B testing has been impacted too. If you want to keep testing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider Convert.com. With their summer release, you can take advantage of full stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise-grade security. Feel good about your smart business decision. Invest what you save back in your zero program. Check out www.convert.com slash 2020. So I, I think you uh, you wanted to share another uh, case study uh, from uh, HubSpot? Yeah, I mean, HubSpot was an example. Uh, I alluded to it before, but HubSpot was an example of a company going through transition. And there's a lot of the things that we talked about went right in this project. So with HubSpot, they were introducing this freemium model, uh, but they're also on this insanely tight deadline. And I think with conversion, we all have the processes we like to go through in an ideal scenario. But this was a case where we were in such a time crunch that we couldn't do everything. So we had to be ruthless about, okay, what research can we actually do and how can we apply it? And the HubSpot case study is a really good example of how you make a team dynamic work in conversion and how you make it possible to like the, the dynamic it takes to achieve really great things on a, on a tight timeline. The end product was that HubSpot doubled their conversions across the board and then submetrics to that. Like it wasn't just signups to a free trial. Now, even inbound call volume went up. Um, you know, the the number of requests to support and customer success not only changed, so success stopped hearing some of the questions that they were tired of answering, um, but but improved. So the types of questions were uh, like different. And, and so uh, with this project, we had this tight timeline, so we had to be ruthless. We could only look at so much. And so that sort of battery of research that we talked about was truncated. All we could do was customer interviews and some surveying there wasn't a whole lot of time to look at behavior through the site beyond some simple things like heat maps and, and a tiny, you know, that, that type of thing. So um, I worked in tandem with another copywriter named Josh Garofalo. And what made that project really work was their designer at the time was Austin Knight. And I, I mentioned earlier, this was my first exposure to a designer that really got and valued and could contribute to the copy piece. And everything we did Austin found a way to make better. Everything we wrote, he found a way to present in in a more intelligent way. And it was the first time that we had two. Oftentimes there's this, okay, the copywriter writes here, then you pass to the designer and then it moves on. This was the first time I had the opportunity to have by necessity, this iterative process of together we defined because timelines were so tight for the feature pages. We defined a template that we knew based on the information we had about the customer. This was the conversational flow that these pages needed to have. We didn't have the copy even yet, but we knew these are the types of sections we need in the order we need them based on what we know about the customer. So we were able to go away and write the copy. Austin was able to go away and do the design because we were pulling in the same direction. We had the same baseline to work towards. And then it became this iterative compare and contrast. And instead of saying no, but, which is a very defeating relationship, it was a yes and. 
So yes, this is great, or yes, this is working, and we could do it this way, or you know, yes, this is a good idea, and we can adjust it in, in these ways. So it was the first time there was this really iterative process, and that has defined for me since the way that I try to work with broader conversion teams or with designers. So we got the great outcome, obviously, the big lift in conversion, big lift in inbound calls, big, you know, both anecdotal, and I don't remember the metrics at this point, but support teams saw less, you know, less questions coming in and more of the right types of questions. Um, but it was just a really good lesson in being ruthless about the research, doing a lot with a little, yeah. and then working as a team. Yeah, I think it, it really impedes your work if, if you're working with people that are, uh, well, if they're not open to that that feedback and they they, they see you as, as someone, whether it's for, for copy or, or Shiro in general, if they see you as someone attacking mm-hmm. their work, whether, whether it's a marketeer or a designer, um, some people just have that mindset that, that you come in, uh, yeah, basically critiquing their their work and saying, "No, you shouldn't do this like this. You, there, there are different ways, yeah. or <laughs> you should change this." And uh, it's, it's, I find it really hard also to change that mindset. Right? It's, it's not something that that's just a, a flip of a switch and say, "Oh no." But, that's really hard if they don't have that mindset to begin with. It's even difficult now, right? Like, I think the thing is, especially on the writing front, this is something conversion optimization folks should understand about writers. Everyone pours themselves into their work, but writers even more so. Like, we we get so into the work that we're doing that it becomes a reflection. Like, we put time. When you're working with someone good, they have thought through every line. They've got a reason behind every piece. They can explain what they've done. We get attached to it. And so even though now, and and I'm the first to say there can't be any ego in conversion optimization because you, if you haven't been wrong yet, you haven't been testing properly. Like, uh, you know, like you <laughs> yeah. can't have. No, but I, I think for a lot of CRO people, they are, they are used to being wrong because that's the reality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's usually, it's, it's a humbling experience. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, that's might not be the, the experience of the people you start working with, whether it's in design and, or in marketing say, so, yeah, we always do campaigns like this, or we, uh, we've always do, doing, uh, been doing designs like this. Yeah. And that's always been fine. Even for myself, even to this day, though, you know, I, I have learned to, it, it is, a. it's like you say, it's not easy to just flip a switch. And for me, because you get so invested, it's hard not to take criticism personally. Yeah. Being in conversion helps that and having objective data certainly helps that. But I've learned even to give myself a breathing period where I, you know, I get better at, at this as years go on. But as I send something over, when the revisions come in, I read it once and I don't respond to it until, you know, at least a few hours later, because you don't, that's the other thing that can kill you is being reflexive, is taking taking offense or immediately wanting to change something. Sometimes there have been many times where there's something that's been pointed out or someone has said, okay, but this isn't actually working that well or so on. And given time to breathe, I come back and say, you know what? They're right. I couldn't see it because I was so invested in, in what I put together. So that's a lesson that copywriters need to learn, but also it's a good thing for those who work with copywriters to be aware of is there is this very personal attachment to the words that you write. And so when you deliver criticism, it's like you need to do it to be productive, but let them have a little bit of time to breathe on it, sit on, you know, sit on it, breathe it in. And then a good person is going to come back and be able to say, you know what, you're right. Or you know what? Yep. The data says this variant that I liked a lot, it's garbage. So 
you know, it, it is, again, we keep coming back to it, but it is a communication piece. It takes some time to nurture that culture. Uh, if you start working with a new company that they don't have this mm-hmm. optimization mindset or they, they, they haven't filled enough yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it takes some time. Do, do you remember, by the way, from uh, from the HubSpot uh, piece, what, what were the biggest, um, I would say, gaps between uh, the, their original contents uh, before you started optimizing them and, and what customers expected? A, a lot of it... Um you know, specific. So the first, the first piece that I worked on there was they had unrolled this new product. Well, th- well, this was one of the big things is there was a lack of clarity around what HubSpot even was at that point, because they had forever been a marketing tool. So there's perception in the market that HubSpot was a marketing tool, a marketing platform. Yeah. And in the meantime, in, in the, in the months and years prior, HubSpot had rolled out a CRM and they'd rolled out a sales tool. And the big gap was nowhere had they done the hard work of showing clients, and you can find this line hopefully on the site to this day, that these these products are powerful alone, but better together. There was no real you know, content that linked them together. And there was a real lack of clarity at the time around which tool did what. And do I need just this one to accomplish X task, or do I need both of these pieces? So that was reflected in, for example, we saw in the chat logs that we that we looked at, a lot of the questions were surrounding things like, do I need this to do that? Which tool is right for me? And so by introducing sections like the powerful alone, but better together, and then breaking out, showing the impact of all of them, but then it making it clear which individual tools helped achieve which individual tasks. A lot of conversion stuff seems obvious when you step back from it, but in the moment, it's it's hard to identify that that was the gap. So that was certainly one thing. The other was a lot of the landing pages that we worked on um, just that awareness level. So understanding again, like what mentality someone came into the page with, what their priorities were. So part of what we did in looking at the survey feedback uh, in talking about the features, because these are like yeah. crazy multi-feature tools. They have like more features than like- It's big, yeah. Some people, not me obviously, have strands of hair. Like it's, it's there's a crazy amount of features. In looking at the survey data though, we were able to pinpoint the most commonly desired use cases and talk about them first in the page. So rather than trying to give everything equal weight or like eventually meandering to it, we were able to restructure the pages based on the leads priority. And that made a difference because people got the information they needed more quickly and were more likely to find it. Okay. And um, so now looking looking forward, um, after things have settled down with the second baby and you've been <laughs> able to sleep again, what would be the things that you say, okay, in the next 12 months, this is what I really would like to work on, this, these kind of projects or maybe some some uh, improvements to the process that you have? So this is dual-sided because uh, I, I run another company that's like hockey sticking and growth. So part of my priority will be kind of managing the growth of case that Anybody, but on the conversion side, I think what I'm really excited about um, is two things. One is that personalization piece. I haven't had enough opportunity to really play around with it and make it meaningful. I think it's kind of a playground because there's so much we can do that we don't know what we should yet. Um, and so I, I'm excited to work with more companies kind of on that front and, you know, finding out like, does this does this work? How should we use this these tools that are available to us? So that's one thing. And then for me personally, I think you know my career continues to evolve. I mentioned like I've been SEO agency and then writing content like blogs and ebooks and then now you know doing the role that I have. And increasingly, I still love the copy piece of things and that's that forever will be you know part of my output. Um, but where I'm trying to go deeper and and level up more, 
is the overarching strategy of conversion, getting better at the design piece, getting better. I know my weak spot, even though you know I'm good enough to be dangerous, is really the analytical side and getting better with the analytics and statistics part of all of this. So for me personally, that's what I'm excited to explore a bit more for my own learning. And then industry trend as a whole, you know, I'm excited to push the limits and see if this personalization stuff is all it's cracked out to be, or if it's really just another bell and whistle, um, you know, on, on the stack that we already have to play with. So, And uh, a small sidestep. So uh, the hockey stick, uh, <laughs> the hockey stick project or company even uh, case study buddy, what are you doing there? So case study buddy, uh, it's a, it's pretty unique in that it's a team specialized for customer success stories. All we do is help B2B companies capture, share, and cash in on customer success stories. And so we do it for a lot of agencies, a lot of software companies, increasingly coaches and consultants. And it's a tough challenge that anyone who's tried to get buy-in for a customer success story and then put that together and then get approval for it and then present it in a way that actually drives action, which is where my whole conversion background comes in, it's a complex process. And one that over the past four years, my team and I have gotten really good at solving. Um, that space for us is really blue ocean still. We don't have a ton of competition, though we are seeing more people come into the field. Uh, and we're expanding the format. So we started out written because that's my background, but we're doing a lot more with video. And we're moving towards more of a subscription strategic type model. So where when we started, we were all about the production side, like we we run the interview, we write the studies, we manage getting revisions, we design the end assets. But where we're really excited and increasingly doing more of is the strategy behind these types of pieces. So what types of stories should companies even tell? How do we build feedback loops and systems into their organization so that when they go to ask for a customer success story, it doesn't feel like a stranger coming and asking for a favor? So I'm really excited to just be shaping the strategic parts of that company growing the team there and then constantly honing and getting better at the formats. Um, so basically as a business go, goes to you guys say, Hey, I have this client, here's his email address. Please get me a testimony. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much that. I mean, it, but in some cases we can even come in a step earlier. So often uh, we deal in situations we're increasingly working with like mid-sized to enterprise where they say we have lots of happy customers. We have no idea how to approach them to get them to say yes. Or there might be a lot of, uh, nuances, legal nuances, where it's like... We don't know if they are willing to test the to right. testimonial. We don't know if they're happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, all the way back to that. So we're increasingly helping clients get buy-in in the first place. Um, the goal is so that it becomes almost as push-button as possible. So, I mean, we do get a brief from them and we do that type of thing, but we want to make these as fast, frictionless, and fun as possible for everyone to be part of. And so that's, that is the, the model is, yeah, a company says either... We've got a happy customer or an increasingly multiple happy customers, and we want to know how to feature them. Uh, but where we're moving is more of a, a service where we can set a target and they can say, we want to be able to publish four studies a year or eight studies or 12 studies in a year. Yeah. And we help them engineer the systems and feedback loops to make that possible and then take care of all the creation as well. Nice. CaseStudyBuddy.com. Uh, we'll uh, we'll put the link in uh, in the comments too. So uh, as a final question, back to uh, copywriting. Any any books that you would like to uh, recommend to our audience that want to learn more uh, about basically copywriting and zero? Yeah, the funny thing about copywriting books and copywriting in general is some of the best books. I mean, there should be there should be books on copywriting, right? There are there, are. <laughs> but some of the best, most informative books about copywriting are not about copywriting. So one of my favorite books is Made to Stick. 
Um, there are lots of things in that book that talk about making ideas memorable, but also just the guidelines that they present for making things like concrete and that type of thing have really influenced my writing. Uh, on the specific copywriting front, there's a classic uh, Dan Kennedy's Ultimate Sales Letter. Uh, that takes all the principles of offline direct response. And um, when you read it through the lens of doing this digitally, there are lessons that you will take away from that that are very valuable. Uh, the other classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, there are parallels and lessons there that you can bring across into copy in terms of how you phrase things or how you think about engaging with people. Uh, there's also books that I really like, like Predictably Irrational, that just deal with the psychology of marketing and psychology of how people make decisions in general. Uh, and those are the types of books. It's great to read a copywriting book, don't get me wrong. And there, there's books like Everybody Writes from Anne Handley that talk about the mechanics of writing, the strategy of it, and so on. But I think the further you get, the more you realize that writing is communication. Communication deals with psychology. So I'm invested in how people think and make decisions. And then the writing, it's not secondary to it, but then the writing has goalposts to shoot for. Yeah. I understand how, when, when I know that, then I can engineer what I'm doing to, to do that better. So those are some books that I've found helpful. Exactly. Joel, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this uh, on, on such short notice. And uh, while you are, you're waiting for the delivery of your second child, yeah. good luck with that um, tomorrow this weekend <laughs> next week whenever yeah. it happens yeah soon <laughs> could happen soon anytime could, who knows you, you're probably a father uh, when we publish this so um, um, we'll, uh, everyone that's, uh, that's listening to this can congratulate you uh, probably on uh, <laughs> on a new baby uh, yeah. thanks again and I hope to talk to you soon cheers thank you so much bye bye and this concludes season two, episode 35 of the Zero Cafe podcast with Joel Kletke conversion copywriter at business casual copywriting Next week, another English episode, or at least three Dutch guys trying to speak English. And the topic will be server-side testing with my guests Ruben de Boer and Tom van den Berg from Online Dialogue. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing.